Broken trust can be healed, but it's not just time that's going to heal it. You need clear guidance about what to do and what not to do. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've developed a free video course called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This course will show you what's needed to begin healing after betrayal. I offer guidance for the betrayed partner as well as the partner who broke the trust. You can access it for free right now by clicking the link in the show notes. I'm back again with my second episode featuring Dr. Jill Manning. And I introduced her in the previous episode, but for those of you who haven't heard that, let me just go over who Dr. Manning is and why I chose to have her on the podcast. First of all, she's a good friend. She's someone I met years and years ago, probably 14 years ago, and we've collaborated in lots of different ways. Uh, She has just been a great professional resource uh, for me and my clients over the years, and I just respect her work so much. She's written books. She's presented lots of different places. And more formally, she is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and she specializes in working with betrayed partners. She's been doing this work for 20 plus years, and she's been featured in lots of places, peer-reviewed journals. She's an academic. She also has been featured on television programs, radio shows, magazine articles, including Oprah. And she was also a social science fellow at the Heritage Foundation in Washington, D.C., and actually testified before a U.S. Senate subcommittee about the harms of pornography on the family. And I think you can still find that online, her report. It's really fascinating and has some great information about the impact of pornography. If anybody out there questions whether this stuff is hurting people and families, Jill has done her homework on it and put some great information out there. And she's currently on the board of directors for Enough is Enough and the advisory council for Fight the New Drug, which is lending lots of credibility to those two organizations because, again, Jill is one of the most thorough and thoughtful people that I know. She is very careful about what she puts out, and she's extremely professional and intelligent and thoughtful, and I just love everything she does, seriously. All of her books, all of her resources. As you can tell, I'm a big fan, and I'm just so grateful she was willing to make time to talk with us. And today we talked, today this interview, uh, we are going to talk about safety and how that applies to relationships. Now, safety is a word that I think is confusing for a lot of people. And, you know, living with someone with an addiction and sexual secrets and those kinds of things creates so much unsafety, not to mention a lot of the behaviors that happen or the threats of disease and other things that sometimes happen when you're dealing with uh, sexual addictions. And Jill gets into really what this means to identify where you're safe, where you're not safe and what to do about it. And I highly encourage you to go to her website and I'll put a link to it in the show notes where she's got some great digital downloads about how to identify and take inventory of your safety and then create a safety plan. It's very measurable, very concrete, and a good resource for anyone who's wondering how they can be more safe in their relationship. So thanks again for listening. I know you're going to enjoy this interview a lot. Here's Dr. Jill Manning. Well, welcome back to the Illuminate Podcast, Jill. Thanks again for being with us. Thank you for having me. So this word safety This is probably one of the most confusing words that my clients wrestle with, especially a lot of the men. Their wife will ask them for safety, and and a lot of these men are looking at me like, help me, like, what am I supposed to do with this? It's such an unusual term. And because I'm a therapist, we sometimes, my wife reminds me all the time, you guys have a different language that most people don't use. And I think safety sometimes can feel like one of those words, like we kind of all get it on the inside, but everybody else is like, what is that supposed to mean? So, but safety is we're going to break it down today and really dive into what this is and how to create it and obviously how to understand it. But 
So is it okay if we just jump in and talk about what this even is and why it matters for addiction recovery, betrayal, trauma recovery, Jill? Absolutely. So I let, let me preface what I'm about to say with just a key core belief that I have about sex addiction. And that is that I believe sex addiction as a set of behaviors is inherently risky. We know in the United States, people die every day as a result of addictive behavior. It's a, it's a risky cluster of behaviors and therefore it's risky and there are real safety risks associated with living in a home where an addiction is alive and, and not in checks and balances with recovery or sobriety. So living with addiction and sexual secrets, I believe is inherently risky and as a result needs safety work and safety addressed. And even right, and, and this even this even includes pornography, right? Absolutely, right? Because a lot of the times right. it's like, well, I'm not out having sex with other people, so what's the safety issue? I, I hear this some often mm-hmm. when we talk about safety. But you're saying, and I agree with you, by the way, like mm-hmm. all of it, it, living with a sexual addiction, pornography addiction, all of this inherently is risky, and there have to be safety mm-hmm. protocols in place. Yes, and and it undercuts wellness. I mean, to look at the reverse. These behaviors, including compulsive pornography use, they undercut healthy living and wellness and healthy relationships and strong attachments. So one thing that I've observed over the years is that safety is defined far too narrowly. When I ask someone, do you feel safe in your relationship? Sadly, I say this with great concern and sadness that often the answer I get is, well, he doesn't beat me. Uh, right, right. And I think, oh my. Yeah, no. How It's sad to me. It distresses me that the bar is so low for how we define whether or not someone is a safe person in our life and how we are defining our own safety. So I treat safety very broadly. It's a multifaceted topic. And it includes things like physical safety, emotional safety, sexual safety, spiritual, home safety, safety related to children. Now, that's one that people tend to more readily grasp. Right. But when people begin working with me, safety and stabilization are, is the first phase of effective partner healing. So I come at this wanting to do thorough assessment of where are all of the threats and behaviors that are currently going on that are a threat to wellness and and health. Anything that is a threat to your wellness or health, I consider a safety issue in the context of this work. So defining safety, I consider that protection from danger, trauma, betrayal, injury, or loss. It's also taking steps to reduce the risk of danger, trauma, betrayal, injury, or loss. And safety is also experiencing inner peace and security, just a deep down felt sense of I'm okay in the world. I'm safe in the world. There are partners that I'll work with, Jeff, that say, well, I'm safe. But then when I slow things down and I really encourage them to connect with what's going on in your body, oh, you're losing hair, you're not sleeping, you have stomach pains, you're not able to eat regularly, you're feeling depressed you're ruminating. Why do you think that is? And as you start slowing it down, you start, I, I'm sure you see this, Jeff, that disconnect between mind and body 
And when we're traumatized, that's part of what trauma does is it severs that mind-body connection. So we slow people down and start helping them connect to really what's going on in your life. What are you feeling scared or nervous about? What are you ruminating about? If you're ruminating about something, almost always there's a safety issue at play. Safety around sobriety, safety or risk of sobriety, you know, sobriety being breached or so helping people define this broadly, helping people honor and respect and listen to the cues their body and life around them is giving them, saying, hey, hold up. Things are not as secure and healthy as they need to be. So that's the first phase. And I, I will walk through, I have a safety inventory and I have a safety planning guide that help people walk through with self-reflective questions and guides to assess basically where is their risk in my life. And it's interesting when people do those inventories thinking, oh, I'm safe. Nobody's beating me up. Um, they'll come back and there's sometimes 13, 14 things checked. For example, someone may realize, you know, I am concerned about the possible exposure to an STD. That's a safety risk. I don't know how much money has been spent on the acting out. That's a safety risk. I don't know what we have in place for internet safety. And I don't know if my 14-year-old has been exposed to something my husband's looked at on the computer or the iPod. That's a safety risk. So really trying to broaden this definition and connect it to what I think is really vital work for supporting solid recovery and sobriety. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, I, and I'm going to just insert this here in case somebody doesn't make it to the end of this podcast. You have both this inventory and the safety planning guide available on your website in your digital store. It's an inexpensive guide. Both of them are separate downloads, but you can purchase these. And I promise you, it is extremely thorough. If you wonder, where's my safety? How am I doing? This will be very revealing. And Jill, you've done a great job of putting this together and making it available. But everything she's talking about here, if you really want to broaden your understanding of safety in your own life and then plan to be more safe, this resource is, is exactly what she created that for. It's perfect for that. Thank you, Jeff. My hope is that it really will help yeah. people look at this in a more thorough way, as well as clinicians, you know, coaches or clinicians oh, yeah. out there that may be listening that may not understand, well, what, what's the safety talk all about? You know, that may not have training yeah. in sex addiction or betrayal. And then they start going through the inventory thing and the light turns on like, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I ask get better it questions. Now. Yeah. I get it now. Mm hmm. You know, in my practice, most will come to me with pornography being an issue or concern. And yet more than 50% of my clients have one or more STDs. Right. So think that through for a moment. Mm -hmm. Part of the safety issue with that is the line and the gaslighting that went through. No, it's porn. I haven't touched anybody. And porn is a safety issue because we know it's a risk factor for aggressive behavior. We know it's a risk factor three people are three times more likely to engage in adulterous behavior, four times more likely to engage in paid sex behavior. So I really push back, Jeff, on any notion of minimizing pornography use, especially today's porn. It's a big deal. And I do consider it a safety issue, especially if children are in the home and in, and in a committed relationship. Yeah. Nope. And that's exactly why I brought it up earlier, Jill, because I see it being minimized so much. And yeah. when you're talking about today's porn, we don't need to go off on this tangent too far, but I'll just say briefly, like today's porn is very violent and degrading and abusive and and it, it just models behaviors that 
would be unsafe for any human being to be a part of in a committed, loving, connected, consensual relationship. And so, you know, it's not just, you know, as, as they say, you know, your grandfather's porn from the fifties, you know, which had its own problems for sure. But this stuff is a totally different level. Mm-hmm. Agree. Yeah. It's extreme. Yeah. It's extreme. Very extreme. Yeah. So, so Jill, as far as safety work then, I mean, you talk about broadening and helping somebody understand really sort of assessing whether they're safe or not. Then what? And then this is for a betrayed safe. partner, right? Sure. Yes. Right. Okay. That's not to say, you know, I have done safety work with with addicts mm-hmm. because they're, the behaviors they're engaged in are not safe. So I, while we're going to focus in this yeah. conversation on betrayed partner safety work, it certainly has a place for, totally. for addiction, right? I mean, if you think of your plan for staying sober, that's a safety plan of sorts. Yeah, I love that. That's a great, that's a great right? point. Mm-hmm. So, but safety work how I view it and approach it is taking that inventory, looking at a clear, honest, rigorously honest view of where are all the areas of my life where I feel risk or threat or that have been violated in some way. And then systematically, Jeff, taking each and every one of those points and turning it into an empowered action item. Right. Not just sort of looking at it and saying, okay, yeah, I guess I'm there. It's like, no, what are you going to do with each one, right? What are you going to do with it? If it's just a check on an inventory, I mean, okay, you've, you've made marks with pen on it, on a piece of paper, but to get traction with this, it's turning it into an action plan. And a couple of things are really key about this. It needs to be an action plan that the partner is empowered to act on. Now she may need some help in doing that. That's okay. But if she's turning to him, the addict in recovery, to be the person that restores all safety and makes all change, that's a very wobbly foundation, especially in early recovery. Oh, yeah. I hope that in time, as healing occurs and, and recovery strengthens, that they can work together in partnership and in good attachment to create safety together. But initially, especially that first year or two in healing work, I really encourage my clients to see safety work as something that I want them to do, that they're empowered in doing. This is where good self-care comes in because if you're not taking good care of yourself, you're not going to have the energy or the inner resources to even be creative or or think through how to pull that together. I want to interject uh, as part of this conversation, poem that has come to mean a lot to me and I've shared it with two of my groups this year so far. It's uh, by a Canadian poet by Rupi Carr. And she says it's a one-line poem, oh. which is great because then I, can, I have a chance at remembering. <laughs> <laughs> I love one-line poems. That's fantastic. One-line poems. Yeah. So this is the poem. It's from her book, Milk and Honey. And it says, do not look for healing at the feet of those who broke you. I'll read that again. Do not look for healing at the feet of those who broke you. So when it comes to safety work, I want people to take an honest look an inventory of their life, their relationships, what's working, what's not, where's the risk. Also, what's going well. I mean, that may be a source to leverage those strengths, those resources for this. But then really sit down and point by point, start identifying, where's my power? What do I control and what can't I control? What are my options for turning that risk into something that bolsters my safety? and helps me be 
fortified and protected against further betrayal or to reduce the impact of this situation in my life. So for example, like where we start connecting these dots, if someone is unsure if they've been exposed to an STD or in their gut, you know, she, she may have been gaslit to say and been told, no, it's only been porn. I've not touched another person to get grounded enough in her gut. Like, okay, does that line up with what your gut feels and thinks? You may want to believe that, but what does your gut tell you? She says, no, I, I really feel I may have been exposed. So then her action plan may be, I'm speaking as her, I need to get tested for an STD and I can do that. I can call my doctor's office and arrange for that. And I need to set a boundary in place that I'm not going to be actively sexual with my partner until there's a full disclosure in place and I'm confident in his recovery plan. And I have some confidence that the, the acting out has stopped. That's an example of someone taking a safety risk and turning it into an empowered action step that she has control over. Right. And just, just as you've listened to that, uh, listeners, did you feel the shift in, even inside of your body when Jill went through that? I felt it. Yeah. And I, I mean, I work with this all the time, but just as you broke that down so clearly, the risks... And then these very specific measurable safety items, all of a sudden I, in my mind, I sort of visually saw her putting up some very strong checkpoints that basically say, okay, no access allowed. And now she's standing behind this and it's not only like massive self-care, self-protection, but it's, it's also, she's going to be safe behind there. And, and she's not relying on him to go get STT tested or to tell her that, you know, to, to prove to her that she's going to be okay. Like she's just giving herself mm -hmm. that time and space. So energetically, you can just feel yes. how, how nice it is to like yes. be like, oh, that has a very measurable item or items that will actually create measurable shifts internally so that you mm -hmm. can feel and feel safe and feel peaceful. I, I love that. Yes. And we could go through dozens of examples yeah. like that, Jeff. Yep. The beauty of that is that her system will start to feel That's right. more settled more empowered, that's when we start having a foundation for trauma to start healing because trauma will not heal if she's not safe. Right. It won't. If the soldier is still on the battlefield and the grenades are flinging, we're not going to heal him from combat trauma. He has to be removed from the field, get out of the war zone. That's when we have a chance to heal. So safety work, think of that as we're helping her get off the, the battlefield get to the sideline to receive good care and support and figure out what was that all about? And, oh, I'm injured here. Mm -hmm. Oh, I, right? Right. Now, there's three key ingredients to good safety work. And I want, I want to make sure we have time to mention those. Yeah. They're simple, which is the beauty of them, but they're important. The first ingredient is we can add something to our life. We can withdraw something from our life, or we can change the social contract. So when those are like three different buckets of options, when we're looking at safety work, think, what do I need to add that would help me feel more safe? What do I need to take away or withdraw? What do I need to change in the way that I'm in? What's the contract between us? How does that need to shift? So for example, something that we may add, it could be, I will resume yoga classes every Saturday morning, something I'm going to add to help me connect with my body, take good care of myself, and also have a break from my home environment. Or 
I'm requesting that a plan for maintaining sobriety be developed in consultation with your therapist and that it be shared with me by the end of the month. I'm adding, I'm asking for something new to be added to the equation right. next. Right. Okay. I can also withdraw something. I could say, I will not be engaging or attending social functions with you until sobriety has been established for at least 90 consecutive days. Or I won't attend social functions with you or go out and socialize pretending, feeling like I'm an imposter when you're oogling and eyeing women. I'm pulling back. I'm withdrawing that privilege that I've allowed him to have in spending time with me in that way. I'm going to withdraw that until I have confidence and I have some proof that that's been worked on in therapy and there's a whole new set of tools to prevent that from occurring. Changing the social contract, that could be, you know, on the lighter end of that, I'll be sleeping in the master bedroom and I'm going to ask that you stay in the guest room until after the full disclosure is completed. Or I'm asking that we request a therapeutic separation within our home, that we negotiate the terms of that between our therapists. And then to kind of the other side of the continuum, I will privately seek legal counsel regarding my options for legal separation and divorce. Okay. So think about what do we add? What do we take away or withdraw? How do we change the social contract? Those are kind of the ingredients that can make a good safety plan. And then we can apply those to physical safety, emotional, relational, sexual, home environment, et cetera. Yeah, I love that. You have to get beyond the awareness that you're unsafe because being aware that you're unsafe doesn't make you any safer. Mm-hmm. It has to be. I mean, if there's anything in this work, you know, initially, because it can all feel like it's spinning around, this one will plant your feet directly on the ground. Mm-hmm. This is boots on the ground, very actionable yeah. things. Because like you said, like a soldier has to get taken out of the situation. Something has to change. Mm-hmm. It's not enough just to be hearing the explosions and feeling the bullets was by your head and going like, man, I'm in a rough place. <laughs> it's not enough. Yeah. Like that's mm-hmm. the body can't calm down. Yeah. So th- this is fantastic. Yeah. So go, what were you going to say? I was just going to add, you know, and this is, a <laughs> you may roll your eyes because I'm bringing up a big topic and I know that we're toward the end, but I just want to touch <laughs> on safety relates to therapy as well. Yeah. And I see, I'd be interested in your thoughts on this. Sometimes people think, okay, this bombs blown off, gone off in our marriage. We need couples therapy ASAP. I understand the logic behind that. I don't fault people for thinking that. Right. But if, if an addict is heavy into gaslighting, he's not sober, he's still married to his addiction and she starts or they start together couples therapy prematurely, that may not be safe. That may not be a safe environment. So safety work also applies to when is it safe When do we have enough base of honesty and sobriety to be able to engage in that vulnerable setting of couples work that she's not going to be in a vulnerable or at risk for further gaslighting that's now in a place that should be, in my view, safe and free from that? Because there's a lot of secondary trauma that occurs in treatment. That's an important subject. Maybe we could talk again about that, right? That's an important topic. But I just, I want to include that because some people aren't safe in their therapeutic environment. Right. No, that's exactly right. Or even then they're like ecclesiastical with, you know, with their bishop, their stake president, their, or if you're not of, not of the faith of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints with your pastor, your priest. I mean, there's, there's so many spiritual sort of 
ecclesiastical mm-hmm. settings where people are trying to get spiritual counsel and guidance and they may not understand the dynamics around abuse or addiction or trauma and can as well intentioned as they may be actually exacerbate your own trauma and so just because the environment would seem healthy and safe on the surface i think to your point jill you have to pay attention to how it feels for you and it's okay yes. it's okay to take that away or to change it so that it feels safe to you because the places that we normally think of as safe i mean you, your home should be safe your marriage should be a safe place but it's not anymore if you've been betrayed and yes. so you're having to make a ton of adjustments there don't pretend that everywhere else will just automatically be safe because that may not be the exactly. case exactly exactly yeah so so many good points there so just as we wrap up here i'll just i'll just review again just remind my listeners if you want to deep dive into an assessment and a plan for yourself around safety or if you're a helper and you want to get more educated on what safety looks like jill has done the work and you don't need to reinvent the wheel she's got these great resources in her digital store and I can't uh, recommend it highly enough. So please go check that out. I'll put a link in the show notes for it. And Jill, just really quickly, how would somebody on their own use something like this? They're just downloading it and looking at it. Sure. A couple of ways. It could be integrated into 12-step work. If someone's you know, using a 12-step program and is not in a therapeutic relationship right now, I've seen people do that. Also, just with self-improvement efforts, if someone's re- doing some good reading on the topics of sex addiction and betrayal, these documents are based in good research and 23 years of clinical experience with this. So they will line up with the current reading and literature that people are encountering if they're just reading on their own. But this gives it, as I said earlier, bite-sized manageable pieces for them to, okay, I'm going to work on this piece. Is when you're overwhelmed in swimming in this whole issue, it can be overwhelming. So that was the design and vision of these that bite-sized pieces, breaking down key components of betrayal trauma healing. So they can use them on their own in that way. Also, they can integrate them if they have a therapist they really trust and like to use them and integrate, you know, ask, hey, I filled out this inventory. Could we review and process this together? So those would be the yeah, main and, ways I'd see this being used. And in my experience, the the you know, I don't like to sort of rate therapists as good or bad, but in my experience, the helpful therapist, maybe I'll put it that way, helpful therapists, in my opinion, are very open to whatever is going to help you. Yes. And if you're bringing in something from this other therapist, Dr. Jill Manning, you know, a helpful therapist isn't going to feel threatened by that and throw it out. They're going to say, well, tell me how this is helping you. Tell me what you're learning from this. Mm -hmm. And so have the confidence and courage to take in what's helping you and get more support with it, like these resources. So yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, very actionable. And what I love about this whole concept of safety is you know, early in trauma recovery. And again, like you said, even in addiction recovery, if you, there's some principles that apply there for you as well, but this is specifically around betrayed partners. This is one of the things that can buy you more emotional, physical, spiritual resources than almost anything. Mm -hmm. And it will set, like you said, it will set the foundation for the rest of your healing just for you to be safe. Because without this, you're just going to be in the firefight all the time. And that's, that's just going to be a very long and difficult road. So Self-care, like we talked about in the previous episode, pairs perfectly with safety. It's really the, the foundation of giving you a place to build on in your healing journey as a betrayed partner. It is. It creates the foundation upon which then we can process, we can learn to relate yeah. you know, differently. We can heal. We can do deeper trauma work, but we can't do that unless people are safe and they know how to ground and have the, you know, the floor beneath them. 
It's like when you open the the package. I, I we bought an alarm system for our house recently, and I when I opened the package, the big red letters that said "Read this first. You know, and I yeah. I think about you know if somebody were to somehow you know drop in some information to somebody who's just betrayed, like these handouts, these resources, this idea of safety and self care. This would be the "Read this first instruction. Mm-hmm. This would be the first thing before you read anything else about why he does this or what's happening to your marriage or all these yeah. other things you could read, it's you matter. You've got to be stable and safe. And thank you so much, Jill, for all the work you've done. Just so appreciate your precious time coming here and spending time with us and teaching us these things. Any final words before we sign off? Oh, just, I hold so much hope for these topics. It, you know, And I, I just, I want people to feel hope that there's things they can do, practical things they can act on and even small changes add up and make a big difference. And for anyone that may be feeling overwhelmed, I'd also want them to know starting with one piece of this will spill over in positive ways that it's working smart, tackling safety or self-care. It will pay off great dividends in other aspects of the work because it, 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 it's big work. And so I just want people to be validated and, and reassured and encourage that starting with one piece will spill over and, and have good effect on other aspects of the healing. Right. Just keep moving. Just do, yeah, just start. And yeah, there's help out there. I love the hope. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you, you, Jill. If you want to follow Jill and connect more with her and the great work that she's doing, you can find her on her website, drjillmanning.com. And on her website, of course, I've mentioned this before, she's got a digital store where she's got some really high quality digital downloads that go into lots of information about betrayal trauma, safety plans, safety checklists, and other resources. She's written books. She's produced audio programs. You can find all that stuff on her website. And she's definitely somebody who's out there trying to help relationships, help families, help individuals heal and, you know, find peace in their lives. And she's just doing such a great job. So once again, thank you, Jill, Dr. Jill Manning, just thank you so much for all your professional work that you've done and just who you are as a person and all the great gifts that you bring to this work. And uh, I hope all of you listening are being benefited from this great information. I just really appreciate all these great people who come on the podcast and share the things that they've learned, things that they've created. It takes all of us to make a difference as we all work together to heal. This community is so blessed to have so many great voices and resources. So I'm just feeling especially grateful today for Dr. Manning and all the others that have joined me on the podcast and all of you who chime in with your comments and your feedback and your needs and desires. And so I'm, I'm hearing you, I'm listening to you. And as always, you can drop me a line at G-E-O-F-F, Jeff, at trustbuildingacademy.com. And I'd love to connect with you. And again, if this information is helping you, please share it. I'd love to Get this out to more people. Let people know that there's good information, that they're not alone, they're not crazy, and that there are answers and solutions to a lot of these challenges that are vexing so many of us. And that's why I'm doing the podcast. I just want people to know that they don't have to do this alone and in ignorance, and that there are other people that have gone before them that are doing some great work and making a huge difference. All right, that's all for today. Thanks so much again for joining me, and I will catch you in the next episode.